Welcome to the Deep Printer Movies Podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead creator of Deep Printer Movies. We are a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today on the podcast, I am joined by actor, producer, and co-founder of Gummy Films, Pauline Chalamet. Pauline, you may know from the Judd Apatow movie, The King of Staten Island, the HBO comedy series, The Sex Lives of College Girls. She is also in the Gummy-produced feature, What Doesn't Float, a strange anthology of New York tales. And yeah, she's producing loads of cool stuff with Gummy Films. She's really smart. She's really into books. I had a great time talking to her. This is me and Pauline Chalamet. good sorry about all the zoom zoom is just killing my life recently it doesn't it's it's had enough of being so useful it's exhausted yeah we've overused zoom it needs a break um how are you good i think we're launching this new movie night where it's uh you get a slice of pizza you go to the movie you go to a bar afterwards for a drink and the whole event is 10 pound it's like the cheapest, best night out. That's great. Where is it? It's in East London, kind of like the Brooklyn of yeah. of London. Um, and wait, and and for the pub after, is it um everybody just gets one drink and then they can buy more or no? We've got to deal with these guys Brooklyn Lager, where I think it's going to be super cheap drinks, but we've got really sick DJs. My friend who DJs for Frank Ocean's radio show. Oh, love it. We'll be playing. So everything is sick, but I have to wait for corporate sign off on this fucking logo before I can launch the best well, night ever. Well, that's super exciting. And how often are you planning on doing it? Once a month. Oh, Once that's a- so great. It is, but it's just killing, they're just killing me with the, I'm sure you know what it's like when it's like, you can't post this. We need to have sign off from Well, we had people. that for, for what doesn't float because of, um, the interim agreements sure and they weren't giving us the interim agreements and i understand they were overwhelmed but like this was a movie we made for nothing like yeah what was going on so yeah it, it's so frustrating when powers that be like prevent good initiatives from getting on. i know i'm just trying to make the best night out well and I, i'd want to go on and all my friends yeah exactly that sounds great i woke up this morning like being like having the desire to I've been getting into a lot of British authors lately. And I uh, was like, Oh, I really would want to go to a used bookshop in London. Oh dude, I've got the spot. Yeah. Okay, uh, great. So you'll have to recommend that. And then maybe if I do pop over to London, um, it'll be on one of the movie nights. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. I can take you to all the best weird bookstores and junk. So, have you ever seen the British comedy Black Books? No. Okay, it's a it's a British com it's a dark British comedy about a guy, the grouchiest guy ever, who runs a secondhand bookshop in London. And this bookshop has this this bookshop has this energy. Okay, wait, I had to just write it down because I think that's gonna be right up my alley. It's called Black Books. Yeah. Okay. There's even one thing where I, th- I think some guy is really into a book he's reading in the shop, so he starts selling him a few pages at a time. And stuff is really funny. Or he chucks people out just because they're having too much fun. It's really good. Oh, I love that. I love that. I will watch. My my go-to bookshop is in Notting Hill. It's a like a big secondhand bookshop. And they've got a sign on the counter like, no, we are not the fucking bookshop from the Hugh Grant movie Notting Hill. Oh, like, my. It's like, look around. So let's start at the beginning. What yeah. kind of teenager were you? 
I think I was a pretty rambunctious teenager. I did a pretty good job at hiding it from some people. Right. Um, Wait, did you get aware of everything? Were you like that sibling who like... Yeah, I kind of... Well, you know, older siblings, um, I think, generally get away with less. Right, yeah. But I think I got away with a good amount. Um, My friend and I would call it scheming. Like, we felt like we were always scheming. Like, oh my gosh, it's time to scheme. So I was pretty good at scheming. I I don't know if my parents turned a blind eye or if I was actually, or if they actually just thought she's doing normal teenager things and mm-hmm. gave me an appropriate amount of liberty. I don't know the answer to that. But I think I was a teenager who... In school, I got by. Um, like I, if I liked a teacher, I excelled in the class. So it wasn't yeah. about the subject matter; it was about the teacher. And I was always just trying to get away with as much as I can. It's like, oh, I don't have to fully do this, but it can seem like I did. I'll just, I'll do. So it felt like in all arenas, I was just scheming and getting away with as little as possible. Um, but I guess as a teenager, still, I was doing ballet, a lot of ballet. I was at the School of American Ballet and then at a place called Manhattan Youth Ballet. And I guess when I was in the ballet classes, that was like 90 minutes a day of just pure seriousness. So maybe it was a form of rebelling against that. But uh, I was like, a, I was a schemey teenager. What kind of bad stuff were you getting up to? What's like the most crazy thing you can share? Like, I think the craziest thing I can share is at maybe 16 or 17 being outside one of New York City's nightclubs, barely dressed in the dead heart of winter and just standing out front with my friend and waiting for like a promoter to notice us and a promoter did notice us. And then we were allowed in and the bouncer or or the promoter said, you... I guess I didn't have a fake ID and he's like, you just have to show something. So anything that you had and all I had was a Metro card. And he's like, you can just show them. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And then I went in and it was like, you know, cranberry vodkas galore. And, uh, but you know, I got it out of my system because by the time I was age, I was, had no interest in going to the clubs. Yeah, I agree. I didn't, I, I, we had the meet me in the bathroom documentary guys on the pod and they were talking like you know about nightlife you know about the indie sleeves and i was like if i'm real i think i've been to a club 20 times in my life like it was just never for me and um, they kind they kind of had to be like no that's cool i was like it's really not you don't have to hold it back but yeah the, club, <laughs> the, club, the nightlife was never for me i couldn't yeah yeah it was uh it, it came and went in my yeah. <laughs> so when did you get into dance i was always in ballet so i my family you know my grandmother was a dancer broadway dancer my mom was a broadway dancer um my mom had gone to the school of american ballet and then i had auditioned i guess when i was like eight or nine and got in and then spent my childhood doing all of dancing with the New York City Ballet whenever there were like kids involved. So, you know, Nutcracker, Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, and I just continued that. It becomes quite serious at a young age. At a, I'd say at around like 10 or 11, it's kind of, it's like almost every day, if not every day. And, um, and I just continued with that, continued with that, um, was kind of dead set on being a ballet dancer. Um, and then I got into a bad bike accident, uh, at 16 when I was leaving high school, um, to actually go to a rehearsal because I had been cast on this like NBC pilot and I was going to it and I got hit by a cab and then shattered my collarbone. And it was the first time in my life where I was out and I couldn't dance for like three or four months at least. And it was kind of an awakening of sorts. It was like, oh, there's a life outside of this. Yeah. Um, and kind of all the normal 
teenager things of going out, um, like hanging out after school or getting a snack with your friends after school and all this were so were not something I grew up with. And I started to be able to do that. And I was like, I kind of like this too. So that was, that was the up and the, and the down. (laughs) I got hit by a car and broke my collarbone as a kid. No way. Yeah. I was crossing the lights at Christmas and there was two kind of really frantic levels of traffic. So I thought once if the light's red, I'm going to run and just go blast through both lanes and just as I ran, the lights changed and I got clipped by a wing mirror and then felt, don't know what happened, fell down, got up and I was like, I'm okay. And then whoop, my arm just went. Yeah, because it's a weird bone to break. <laughs> you can't so you weird. Can't in a cast either. No. So it's super painful. And you're just like kind of in a sling, like yes. walking like this and it gets all swollen. It was like, I don't know what it woke me up from, but it was like a wake up. <laughs> How's about trying to get out of bed in the morning? That was the craziest part of my day. It took like I had to sleep with like pillows up, and I was like, like lying back. Yes, it was so bad. My my dad, bless him, was like, "I'm going to install like a bath bar on the side of your wall so you can pull yourself up." And I'm like, "I'm not 87, thank you." But I I was just like, I should have got it. The pain was fucking unbelievable. Trying to do you have a titanium plate? No, it kind of set, but this arm still gets, I sound like grandpa, it gets cold in the winter and it kind <laughs> of, it's, um, yeah, it's a little bit stiffer than the other one, but other than that, it's, it's okay. Uh, yeah, it's a longer arm. <laughs> so I've, I've recently got kind of obsessed with Bob Fosse and I'm trying to work my way into musicals and song and dance. Love it. What are your bangers? What would be your starter pack for? Because it's a kind of a love-hate or people haven't tried it or don't want to get it in, in a musical. No, I know people are so reluctant. There's something, I, I don't really get the reluctance because I feel like musicals, they kind of satisfy the itch of like, a, you know, like a a movie that, you know, sometimes you put on a movie or maybe you don't, maybe nobody else does this, but like you're kind of in the mood to cry or you feel a little like sad. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and you put on a movie, you kind of know it's going to do that or feel can do that. And I feel like musicals like scratch that itch or yeah, scratch that itch. Like they, they, you can be so moved. And I think also going to a performing arts high school where there was a lot of musicals, a lot of the amazing, um, you know, professional musical directors who would come in and direct these shows, they often said the same thing, which really stuck with me, which is in musical theater, and I am no expert by any means, but I enjoy a good musical. Um, But in musical theater, it's a play, and the stakes get so high that the talking doesn't really suffice anymore, and you have to break out into song. Right. And I've always, like, loved that, because it makes i i basically go to musicals and i think that um so i don't know i I love a chorus line because Mm -hmm. a chorus line was so um important in just changing musical theater generally it was like the first time that it was the the play within the play kind of you were seeing what happens behind the scenes uh so i i have a real soft spot for a chorus line i love just generally like Little Shop of Horrors. I love mm-hmm. Cabaret, um, 42nd Street. Uh, those are like, I'd have to say my top, you know, I remember like when Wicked came out when I was a kid, I was totally obsessed with that. So obsessed with, I remember being so obsessed with Legally Blonde when that came out because there's a whole number where they're literally jump roping and singing at the same time. Although someone recently told me that there were probably like background singers so that the people right. could maybe not sing, but because, but it really looks like they're just sure. cool singing, jump roping. Um, the spectacle is kind of amazing. I, although I have seen some musicals where I've been like, this is, this is not good and I'm ready to leave. Right. I've, I, I, I like all that jazz. I've, love I've enjoyed, all that jazz. I love all jazz. I like cabaret company is being alive is my favorite did you see the documentary 
Um, yes, that's what oh. th that, that's what got me. I, I got invited to Criterion. Someone recommended Company, the documentary, and, and then the original cast recording. Yeah, I cry. yeah. Every time I watch that, I cry. That's one of the things I can put on if I'm in the mood to cry. I'll watch that documentary. Yeah, because I was like, these people are fucking giving it their all. And there's, I think there's one woman and she's trying to go for a take and she's not nailing it, but she sounds yeah. brilliant. She sounds brilliant, but she's beating herself up. Elaine uh, Stitch, Elaine. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yes, yeah. And Soddenheim's just been such a taskmaster. He's like, no, again. And I'm like, that was fucking genius. What more do you want? And he's like, this ain't it. This is shit. We're just getting warmed up. And I'm like, whoa. Oh, and I, I was like, just that ex. Yeah. I think being alive is so beautiful and so sad beautiful. and ranching. Yeah. Spring Awakening, the musical too, was the music in that was pretty good. Um, I, I remember being a teenager and really loving that. Oh, oh and hair. I actually hair was um I think it like premiered on Broadway in the sixties. Yeah. And my grandmother had seen it and she would always say like it was so risque. Like I had never seen anything like this. She 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 had done like 42nd Street, you know, Kiss Me Kate, like very traditional musicals. And in high school, they did a revival of hair that my mom took me to see. And I was obsessed. I mean, I was like, this is a musical I want to be in. This is, I feel this musical. And then I started cutting school on Wednesdays for maybe about a month to go to the matinees because I wanted to watch. I, I loved it so much. Um, and... Uh, and I think I would like convince one different friend each week. To come. <laughs> That's cool. What age was, was this before the accident? Was this still in your dance era or after? It was in the same era. It might have been right after the accident. Maybe it was right after the accident. And how did you reckon with your injury and no longer dancing and stuff? Well, you know what's funny? I'll tell you this. I remember sitting in the bedroom of a friend who um, lived in my building, who I had gone to school with a few years in middle school. Um, we were just at different like public schools. We never really went to school together, but we were building friends. And I remember one afternoon after school, I went over to, I was in my building, but I went over to her house and I was sitting on her couch and we were kind of just chatting and gossiping about, different friends and what was going on. And I remember having the thought, like, I've never done this. Whoa. I've never just after school hung out with someone and who doesn't go to my school, you know, like really just a friend mm. and chatted with them about what's going on in school or what's what the, what the drama or the tea in today's lingo is. And I just remember that. And I don't know. I think I was so excited to have this, all this free time that in the moment I was really grateful for it. Um, but I think also it was very stressful because my life had been so long defined by these rules. Mm -hmm. um, but then a door opened where it was like, oh my gosh, you don't have to do one thing. Maybe that's why today I'm kind of okay with doing multiple things even though i feel like it's shaving years off my life but like yeah i was like oh i can i can have time to do other things and that was kind of the mindset i was in when i went to university i was like oh i can do multiple things so i think that followed me for a while maybe i've never really addressed what it did to me to okay. be <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, it's kind of weird. When you're young, you just bounce back so quickly. You don't get so... Now I I wallow <laughs> and, yeah. you know, just go in an existential spiral about almost everything. But when you're looking back, when you're a kid, it's like, damn, now it's fucked up. We move. And I just kind of bounce back. I kind of envy that in a little way, but I'm not <laughs> just so full of existential dread every day over incidents and... Right. Know, things that life throws at you literally and stuff you said i asked this because i'm obsessed with this also you saw leave schreiber in talk radio and oh you said God. that 
because I'm I'm so obsessed with the movie talk radio and Eric Bogosian's performance oh. and basically Eric in general. I'm kind of a. I remember the feeling of sitting in the show and being like, I don't even know how old I was. I was either like preteen or teen. First of all, literally being turned on by this man and having like feelings awakening of like, wow, this guy is such a rebel and looking at, and the laughing out loud. I, I I'm so, I, I'm obsessed with that performance. It lives free in my mind and I'm so grateful for it. And I, I met Liev Schreiber once and at like a, 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 you know, like a Hollywood mingling mm. thing. And, and I went up to him and I told him this and he had the best response. He said, this, he's like, thank you for saying this. I know what it's like to go up to someone who you admire and say something. And I really appreciate you saying this to me or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that always stuck with me because I thought it was handled with such grace, like not just like, oh, yes, thank you so much. Or, oh, my God, you saw that and kind of brushing it off. But he recognized the importance that that performance had had. And I was very impressed with that. Oh, I'm obsessed with him and that play. Love the play. How about the movie? Do you enjoy the movie? Have you gone to the movie? So, Or was that your no, I first? No, I just saw the play. And you know what? I'm thinking like... I I've never seen the movie. Oh, the movie! It's my favorite Oliver Stone movie. I will have to check it out. But yeah, it, it kind of made me obsessed with radio, and I saw that Christian Slater uh, pump up the volume movie around the same time, and I'm like, I need to be a pirate radio DJ. Just you know, <laughs> talking the truth on air, and just like playing my 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 grunge CDs and stuff. That was yeah. Oh, I figured out why I connected those two things. Because they both have talk radio and um, there was this other play, Little Murders. And I think that I like read them at the same time. And I think they will forever live in my brain at the same time. (laughs) But talk, I I will never, I mean, the whole, the play that I saw with Liev Schreiber was set in just one, it was just in the radio booth. Yeah. Yeah. Did they have callers phoning in? Did you get like external voices? Yeah. Yeah. They had callers phoning in and then they would have, you know, like, I can't remember if it's his assistant or the one who does the crazy monologue with sticking her hand in the garbage disposal. Yes. Um, Yeah. uh, I love that. I love that character. And, and uh, she was a real person. There were like a few other real people, but I think a lot of them were called in, which was part of the beauty because you just saw his reaction. I just remember at one point him walking around with like a giant Nazi flag on the back. Like he had put it on like a- Whoa. And like- Yeah, he gets sent it in the mail, right? Exactly. And someone's like talking to him and he's just pacing back and forth with this thing. And I was like, what is going on? But it was so, it was so good. The play was so good. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Mubi. Mubi is a curated streaming service dedicated to bringing you the best in cinema. I've been a Mubi subscriber for years and I want to give you guys three of my favorites from the UK Mubi platform. Okay, I'm going to dig in. The Clash, Rude Boy. So I saw this back on VHS when I was at college in the 90s and video stores were still a thing and my local video store well okay I'll be real I was a member of four video stores but one of them had this deal of like five movies for five pounds for five days and to be honest I probably rent about I do ten for five days because I have no chill but anyway I rented Rude Boy 
and it was great it was like it was weird the clash are playing themselves but they've got an actor who's playing a version of himself trying to get in with the clash and join the tour and become a roadie and it's weird it's just so meta and way ahead of its time second one is two lovers by james gray who made the films ad astra we own the night um was the yards armageddon time cool connection armageddon time is also a clash song seamless but two lovers is probably my favorite it's a love story starring joaquin phoenix and gwyneth paltrow and for my money this is joaquin's best ever performance it's a real beautiful sad understated love story that's pick two my third choice is under the silver lake by david robert mitchell okay hear me out this is a love it or hate it movie i love it i think it's amazing i think it's one of the best movies about la it's dark it's weird it's sinister romantic digging into all the dark history of hollywood and the creepy stuff that lays beneath the surface and comes out at night i think it's great i've never let you down yet take my word for it and here's the good part you can watch all these movies and more for free just sign up to movie.com slash deeper into movies for 30 days of movie for free movie.com slash deeper into movies When did you decide to move into oh you're already doing tv right you started in tv doing roles kind of kind of i was really doing the ballet i was really doing the ballet i would kind of audition for um things from time to time i don't think that that like child agent really liked me like i remember once i when she like wanted me she had me into her office and asked me to do like a jingle for like a chewing gum commercial and you know like hold up the pack in front of her and be like it tastes great and i did that line and then she like saw my mom was like she she should see an acting coach if she wants to whoa that's fucking savage yeah i know it's like (laughs) like my memory i don't know how old i was and i was just doing the ballet thing but i a lot of the um TV things that I was doing were linked to the ballet thing, like that uh, right. pilot for NBC or whatever. That was because I was a dancer in it. And same with like, I did like a stand in for the first episode of Royal Pains, where I was the ballet dancer, like the double, you know. Um, so I don't know. I think I really made the switch as I, I love, you know, in high school, I was a drama major at LaGuardia, which is a performing arts high school. And I really loved, I think I discovered what it was to love acting in theater the first time that I was on doing like a scene in the black box theater, which was from Antigone. It was a scene between Ismini and Antigone and I was playing Ismini. And that was the first moment where I was like, wow, this is very cool. This is very special. And then I think I just went, I just kind of was flowing down a river and and just love I always came back to it though. And I think I first saw you in the King of Staten Island. I've got to say, I think Steve Buscemi's monologue is the best he's been. Yeah. At the fire station where he's telling yeah. the story yeah, yeah, about yeah. his dad. Cause I've I've loved Steve all my life, but he's always like 
creepy or a little bit tragic or weird. And I'm like, this is probably Steve being Steve, the most like himself he's been. adult kind of. Yes, yeah, we're, yeah, no criminal background, <laughs> no awkward. Wholesome. Like, yeah, I'm like, he's just giving a real fucking hard, almost like a speech from like a Casavetes movie or something. Yeah, yeah. And totally. it was just so fucking pure. I was like, this is the fucking best he's been. It was so, and obviously he's a was a firefighter himself, so it seems so exactly. Just so grounded and real. That was how is that? How how many takes did Judd have you doing? That guy loves he loves working takes. stuff that was, out. That was so much fun. That whole that that working on that. Um, I probably had like a week and a half worth of like days of work. Um, I liked what I loved was it was my first time working. I think it was my first time working with a director who was so experienced in what he does mm-hmm. and and he would he wouldn't cut the camera he would kind of just yell out like things to um say like to change not things to say, yeah things to change notes and it kind of kept the adrenaline going which um was really useful and really helpful and it was my first time ever doing a dinner scene or a meal scene and what that was like with different camera setups. And uh, I was just... Oh, God. Did you, did you eat too much? I know, I know that's always a rule that people always say, don't fucking start chewing the steak because they'll bring you no, I think 15 I had, steaks. I had been warned. I think I had been warned. And I would just like maybe eat like one piece of lettuce per take. Um, I tend to find now that when there's eating scenes i don't so much eat in the take but i cannot help but eat between takes and people are so grossed out by this and they say you can't eat it. it's like prop food like you don't know how where it's been and like it doesn't deter me i haven't gotten sick yet i don't know what it is i just the food is in front of me it's comforting yeah exactly um but no yeah working with 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 judd was so special for me i mean that was like one of the like a highlight of my life being on that set. It was just all these veteran comedians. The cast was so nice, just so nice, so welcoming. Um, And so was, so was the whole production team. I mean, Judd was amazing. He would say, I would come to monitor. He would get me a headset. He was like, watch this. I was just so, I felt so, um, taken care of and like what an amazing foray into kind of the big Hollywood machine of filmmaking. So my friend created the show industry on BBC and HBO. Yeah. And he texts me, I, I'd always make jokes cause I was in my friend's music video for the Radiohead offshoot band. And then I was like, I'd always say something like, if you got a role in industry, let me know. Like maybe I could be a, um, a tech mogul who tries to bring back Blockbuster <laughs> or something and I'd kind of be like joking not joking like give me a role and he messaged me a few months ago saying do you want to cuss out Jon Snow from Game of Thrones in a scene and I was like well fuck yes let's go so he gave me this one role where I got a I actually I don't know if I can give away the plot but anyway I gotta curse him out and then as he's driving off and his He's in his like big fancy Rolls Royce. And then the director was just said, cut. Okay, go again, but say some more stuff. Yeah. And I was and I was like, what? And she was like, just say some more. Don't just give him that one heckle. Try and rile him up and say more. And then it was like, all right, reset, go. And I was like, fucking hell. Yeah. The pressure is terrifying when you've got a suddenly t- turn on the juice. And I'm obviously the cameras are rolling. There's 50 people watching you. And it's just like, as it's reminding me when you said Judd would just tell you to, you know, do more stuff. Yeah. It was kind of. It was kind but, of, it was kind of, you know, what was funny though, was that, so I grew up, um, I, I had a, a good amount of friends from Staten Island. And so I kind of knew who these characters were. And I kind of felt very legitimate in my place as like a New Yorker yeah. on this movie set about New Yorkers. Yeah. And, it it kind of clicked for me. It was like such a beautiful, gentle entering of waters because if there was any sort of like you can improv 
I was just kind of like, oh, I, I actually know these girls. I, I know. Right. Yeah. Where it's not like, you know, you have to curse someone out. I would not be able to improv. Maybe I would. Maybe I'd find the rage in me. Yeah. Cursing someone out, man. I don't know. <laughs> it, it was so funny because I felt like such an idiot afterwards. But the the um the creators messaged me and said, we just saw your dailies. You were fucking great. All those lines you were coming out with. And then they're like, where did that come from? And I'm like, can I run this with you guys? And I, yeah, I said, okay, so two things. One, I watched Casino with De Niro a couple of days ago. And there's a bit where he's cursing someone out in when he gets taken to court. And because yeah. obviously the Jon Snow guy isn't like acknowledging me. <laughs> he's trying to ignore me. And De Niro says, tell me you're at the casino. At least give me that. And so I, I was doing the like, at least look at me. <laughs> but the other thing was I had to bang on the window of his car but I, I really love the Anne Halfway movie, The Intern. Yes. And there's a really funny bit where De Niro bangs on the glass, but he uses two hands. It's like two big paws coming toward the glass. And he's really dramatic. And I was like, so somewhere between Anne Halfway and Scorsese, I found my person. And they're just like, oh my God, that's amazing. That is amazing. I know. Yeah. You got to take inspo from anywhere. That's what I say. Exactly. But... Right. The movies inspire. Totally. So let's talk about gummy films. Yeah. Because we screened um, Endless Sea yeah. on our last short film collection and our last showcase. And then we just screened Rachel's movie. Lemon Tree, yeah. Lemon Tree. You guys are killing it. There's nothing but bangers coming out. Yeah, we're like, trying. We're trying. I mean, I have to give so much credit to Rachel and Luca who... Um, you know, kind of really do the nitty gritty work of being on the ground in New York, producing all different kinds of things. Um, because now we have offices and, and so there's an overhead and, um, it's just very interesting to collaborate with, I mean, Luca, I've known a while since I was like a teenager, maybe my late, late teens, um, like 19 or 20, but, um, Rachel, I just met on what doesn't float. Cause she was friends with Luca and it's been very interesting kind of growing in our collaboration. Um, what kind of things do we want to continue to work on together? How can we push each other? And it's just in doing the work. It's just in making the work happen. Um, so sometimes it's just as producing things. Sometimes it's, you know, like with Lemon Tree, Rachel directed and Luca and I produced and kind of figuring out, you know, when you're working on, on an indie scale like this, you, 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 of, you wear multiple hats all the time. And it's been a very interesting experience to continue to grow as collaborators and workers. It's, you know, it's an interesting setup we have because we kind of started more as a collective because we all want to do such similar things. It's not like a production company where, you know, like, for instance, I'm an actor. It's not I'm an actor who started a production company. It's right. the three of us came to it and all had different, came from different backgrounds and are now creating like an environment of where we can reunite our our filmmaker friends um, and continue to kind of create things together. So the collective mentality still really stuck i mean sticks it still kind of functions as a collective which is which is interesting um and works well for us for the time being so how did you start out and piece it together what was your first project that you guys all came together on? it's interesting because we had all worked we had all helped each other out on movies before like i know that luca helped edit rachel's thesis from bu Luca had helped me. He had shot a scene in New York for a short film that I wrote and was in. 
um, that was mostly set in Paris, but then there was one scene in New York and he helps with that. So we had kind of collaborated together on other things, but then what doesn't float was an idea that literally came about because I was out to dinner with the writer, Shauna Fitzgerald, and uh, we were just talking and then we were going to go get a drink. We were going to get a drink and she was roommates with Luca and we ran into Luca when we were going to get a drink and he came and met us for a drink and the three of us sat in a backyard on a patio of the bar and Shauna had had these ideas for vignettes and Luca had really been wanting to get his hands into directing and I Shauna had said, you know, there's one of the stories I kind of have you in mind. And I was like, please, this is my dream is to work on like with my friends and just mm-hmm. make stuff. And I was kind of like, I'd be down to produce it to kind of help things get the get the ball rolling. And Luca was like, I also have a friend, Rachel, who's a really good producer. So the four of us were kind of working on what doesn't float. And from there, Rachel, Luca, and I really had this hunger to continue to produce and what other works can we make together? And that's really how it was born. It was born through what doesn't float. So I know normally people make LLCs for the movie. Like if you were, you're supposed to make like what doesn't float has what doesn't float LLC or like the company with it. But we yeah. didn't do that. We made what doesn't float and we had gummy LLC, which was the movies company but then grew into being something that also produced other works but that kind of have this similar run and gun vibe to them so how how is it you seem like you're kind of in the coolest way making up as you go along um i would think that's exactly what we're doing uh that's exactly how what i feel i'm doing I, i what's so great about working with Rachel and Luca is that I have no, I don't feel inhibited in any way. These are two people who can make stuff happen. I can go to them. I'd be like, I have an idea. I have an idea. And they're like, okay, let's do it. Um, And I think the same goes for them. And that makes for a really uh, juicy, creative environment because Mm -hmm. we have no money. I mean, we're hoping to get, we would love to have like a benefactor, someone who could like help us, but really all the projects we're working on now is kind of, um, how can we raise money for this? How can we raise money for this? What can we use, right? Like whose house can we um, film in? Or what shots can we steal here? And that's kind of how our brain is working. But the creativity comes with the restraints. And, of course, uh, yeah. So that's 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 kind of how I feel that we're working right now. And, and also, you know, doing as much commercial work as we can get because that does help pay the bills. Of course, yeah. <laughs> But but that's so fun if it's also free and non-restrictive and stuff and there's no I find that's the most exciting. Yeah. How was it picking the stories? Were there multiple stories that were thrown in that you whittled down? Um No, I'd say that I think actually if my memory serves me well, there were initially six vignettes and a seventh one was added. I might be like totally wrong about that and maybe it was like we were thinking of adding an eighth vignette so that the runtime was a little longer because it's a weird runtime for what doesn't float it's like a little over an hour um but no the stories were i know that shauna had like specific stories based on her lived experience Mm -hmm. she's just such a good writer and she has such wit and like dark humor and it was just so amazing to see those lived experiences be put on paper i think maybe one or two of the stories is inspired from luca uh inspired by luca and his lived experience that she then put on paper um but i think those were the ones that we kind of had them all before we started shooting this was like a while ago now so i might be wrong but i'm pretty sure we had six or seven stories and we knew we were going to shoot them yeah, I loved it. It felt like kind of Jarmusch, episodic kind of feel. I mean, not like, short, or like, like a big inspo. Yeah, and it, well, it's kind of funny. I from the opening scene with the um the trolley full of cans. Yes, and I was like, "This is going to be good." It's just <laughs> such an strange opening. I I, I kind of have a gut when you see like a really weird opening or a slower. I'm, I'm like, okay, this from the guy paddling down the river to the garbage i'm like okay i'm in sold <laughs> this is going to be good oh thanks and you guys have the most 
go at double bill of cinematographers. I know. Uh, we're so lucky. I kind of realized, I, I think to be to be an OG cinematographer, you need no Instagram or social media presence. None of those guys are off. The, I, have to, I have to text them if I want to talk to them. They're That's, off the grid. Yeah. yeah. Man, this is, there's got to be something in that. Yeah. I I might, I should take a page from their book, maybe. <laughs> um, oh, no, yeah. No, I I need the social media validation. I can't live without the <laughs> in, endorphin. Fuck my art. I just need to feel so loved cool. and accepted. It's so cool. Yeah. They're, they're, they're so cool. I mean, Sean and Hunter are so cool. I feel very like, am I saying, do I sound, like, how can I sound smart and nonchalant at the same time? That's yeah. what I'm when being around that. Yeah, no, I'm super intimidated by Sean. <laughs> I feel if you ask me what I've been watching recently, I'm like, uh, uh, don't don't say the intern. <laughs> or say, you know, no, it's a seven hour Russian movie, bro. You got to see it on eight millimeter. Is there any way you can watch it? Yeah, exactly. uh, yeah, terrifying. Wait, but they're not. We, I I should say for the record, but they're not like at all film snobs or. Is this is all my I'm I'm bringing all my own personal anxiety. It's your own. It's your own anxiety. Yeah, nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah. And I I've maybe Hunter's best work on Lemon Tree. It looks like a, it looks like a seventies Dennis Hopper movie. I know it's incredible, and being like seeing him work on Lemon Tree was just. It was kind of what I, uh, I dream of sometimes. What I love about this kind of independent filmmaking where you know the dp is carrying the camera and is literally on the fly while it's rolling film so it's like you can't be like um wasting time yeah i have an idea i have an idea and rachel's like okay that's great let's do that and then rachel's like wait wait, do that again and do this like the the communication flow was so impressive to watch and his kind of talent is so raw it's it's really it's like energetic in a way um it's uh, yeah the lemon tree is 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 beautifully shot beautiful and i think this is someone who really embarrassingly on a (laughs) movies podcast i know i know nothing about cameras or you know film and all this but when i watched lemon tree i was like this is beautiful I, I i could feel the story better because of the way it was shot and that yeah completely especially over nighttime scenes in the back of a car and stuff yeah. so beautiful and tender how did you guys did this I, I i'm obsessed with those close-ups of you on the bike when it's just your eyes and face how did you guys we um sh- shoot you as a child along we had um we had sean sitting in the trunk of a car holding a camera and the car was driving ahead of us and we were following the car oh amazing it looks so good i love those close-ups those kind of details are really what yeah sometimes make movies for me yeah i look at that now and i'm like oh my god this seems crazy to be doing. Yes. <laughs> so let's kind of go back to where we started to finish. Um, we were talking about books. Wikipedia says you're an avid reader. <laughs> it it, is that what the word it uses? It says you read one book a week. So j- <laughs> just to let you know, that's what you need to be keeping up with. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I love to read. I find extreme solace in reading. Um, so yes, I think I'm, I think I'm a reader. How have you retained your attention span after COVID? Something happened to my brain in COVID where my short attention span got even worse and I could read, I found now that I can read nonfiction like film bios or histories of movie, but my, my fiction life is really struggling. I was wondering, how, how do you not check your phone and well, see, watch a million TikToks? Well, pandemic and is like interesting that. because well, I'm not on TikTok, um, and but I am on Instagram. 
I will often delete the Instagram app for days at a time though. It's like, it just, it's, 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 it's not really a great place. Um, I, so a weird thing happened for me during the pandemic. I was alone for most of the pandemic, really alone. And I realized that I was going to go crazy and every day was the same. So I already for a few years, I've had a pretty strict regimen of waking up, um, reading for a little bit and writing. Writing was like my big thing in the morning. And what I decided to do in the pandemic was because our days were so long, was kind of prolong the morning stretch, my morning ritual. Mm -hmm. So my phone has never been in my room when I sleep. So I've always had a radio alarm clock. So I'd wake up and I would write the way I'd been doing for a few years, but then I would read. And I started getting into this habit of reading nonfiction in the morning. So the New Yorker often is like my, my go-to because it's analytical. It's not like, you know, the world is ending the way you can read on like news sites every day. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I read that or any sort of nonfiction book that I was reading at the time. And then the day would happen and it was pandemic. So nothing was happening. And then at night I would read fiction. And I kind of have just stayed in this routine, uh, which I greatly, which greatly impacts me. Mm. I, I love it. I find that when I'm struggling to read a fiction book, what helps is to read a page turner fiction book. And one that you'll read in like two days, you know, it's like so good. And then I can go back and like, pick up maybe a little bit of a more difficult fiction book, but I'm already in the mindset. Um, but it kind of relaxes me at night. It's an, it's an escape tool, really. You don't keep your phone in the bedroom. That's amazing. That's terrifying to me, but that sounds really okay. essential. Well, no, I, I like podcasts to go to sleep. I, I, I want to like a very mellow. It doesn't wake you up because like you fall asleep, but then you still... The only thing that gets really weird is when whatever is being discussed on the podcast somehow seeped into my dream brain and this is the conversation in the in my dream. That's when it gets weird. <laughs> this basically captures my entire personality. I, I I'd never read the original Sex and the City book, but I love the show. Yeah. So so I was listening to the Sex and the City audiobook which ended and then the giant Charles Manson biography that I had on my audio library. So I I went from that to I was in a cult. I was taking acid, Uh, you know? Yeah. I didn't get to the murders, but I was like, what the fuck? Oh my God. That's so. I I, I was in New York having cocktails (laughs) and now I'm scheming to murder Sharon Tate. I was like, yeah. Oh my God. So, but I've said it now to stop after my book, not not just dig into my weird audiobook right. history. <laughs> so that makes it. Who are your go-to authors? You know, right now I'm... So Edith Wharton is definitely my go-to author, like, that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm a big fan of... Um, I'm a big fan of Tolstoy as well. I love Virginia Woolf. Um, I had never read um, any Mary Wollstonecraft, but she's kind of the mother of like female literature, I dare mm-hmm. say. Um, so I'm starting to get into her. There's this um, author named Jacqueline Rose, who's like, like I want to say a philosopher like a feminist philosopher sociologist i've gotten really into her recently um those are kind of some of my top go-to authors like if i see a book of theirs on the shelf i want to read it um yeah i'm very into there's a book that i've been I read a few years ago called The Right to Sex by Amya Srinivasan. I hope I'm saying her name right. Um, and 
I'm very into, I like, I, I do like feminist literature. I do like, I, 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 as part of morning reads with like the New Yorker, I do very much enjoy the, it helps shape the world for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, if I, I'm, I, those, those are our some, some names that just pop into my head as I answer that question. It was funny you say that. I remember being at a party with this literature professor who did like this super elegant kind of Susan Sontag. She had like the white streak in the hair, so reminded Susan Sontag. And she was like, who do you read? And when anyone asked me that, I kind of freeze up. And I was like, ah. And I was just thinking of what I was reading recently. And I was like, well, I'm obsessed with Bryson Ellis. I love Philip Roth. I was reading some David Foster Wallace. And and I was like, maybe some Bacallus. Asshole man, I get it. And it's dismissed me. And I was like, wow. And then you sound like a douche in your back, going, no way. I, I, I read Joan Didion. You know, I, you know, I love Margaret Atwood. I love Flannery O'Connor. She's like, like, like those were your two. Like, I can see much just digging, like, stop trying to dig yourself out of oh, this. Like, it's such uh, a hard question to answer to because I also, you know, I love, like, right now I'm thinking of Hemingway and Fitzgerald, and I love. I love their books. I mean, I could I could read it. Also, there's a book called The Dud Avocado by Elaine Dundee. That's like one of my favorite books of all time. But it is really hard when you like it, but it's what you like to read. I don't know. It's a hard question. It's, you know, it's like. The- yeah, I kind of need to. There's, I don't know. Yeah. There's a certain type of prose or kind of compact minimal prose. I really enjoy for something like. When it's really, I don't know, like when Raymond Carver, you know, when he got all his stories cut by the uh, leash, the, the editor, yeah. I was like, that's the kind of, I don't know, I feel that's the type of. Um, have you person. read Infinite Jest? Yes, I did it in three different, my friends said do it as three different books. Oh, interesting. But then it didn't come together for me in the way it. It did. should it did. I feel it yeah <laughs> but I, I really but then um I'm friends with Brett Ellis and he famously can't stand David Foster Wallace's writing although Wallace originally said he was interviewed in, inspired by him but he said something really hard he said I think he's a journalist I, I think he was a non-fiction writer and he's way better at that than he is a fiction but then there are some sections some lines in infinite jest which is just astounding and the yeah, that's what I language heard. and the turn of phrase is just knock you on your ass but i hear it's incredible the only book of his i've read is brief interviews with hideous man hideous man yeah was a, fr- a friend of mine was very into the book and she re- highly recommended it and i just remember i really enjoyed reading it I really enjoyed some stories I liked more than others, but I'll mm-hmm. never forget there's one story where most of the story is in footnotes. Oh my God. He loves the footnotes. Yeah. <laughs> Infinite Jess is like 300 pages, footnotes and appendices. And <laughs> I'm like, am I, do I skip this shit and keep <laughs> yeah. going or do I, like, or like I, am I a peasant? Should I, am I not? absorbing it properly yeah, yeah, exactly. but... you're like but this, this seems optional if it's written so small at the bottom of the- i know and the book's already fucking like you know it's 800 pages that i i felt i'm disappointed all my friends during the pandemic were attending an infinite jest book club where they'd meet wow. up once a month and you'd be you know you'd be held responsible to keep going but then there was all these crazy... I remember reading when there was a bit of a backlash about him and a lot of people were saying that this character he created for himself of, you know, I've got the brain the size of a planet, but I, I eat Pop-Tarts and I just like trashy action movies and stuff. And I, I know there was like a famous thing where he's before a reading, he was saying, I get really nervous and I get a dry mouth. Wouldn't it be great if you could buy like a throat spray which was like fake phlegm so you can have some phlegm in your mouth like david that's so crazy you know you're eating a pop tart and but everyone says it was all just a a great act he was such a master manipulator which is very cynical but maybe maybe it's that maybe it's that i don't know i think he 
must have been very tortured. I don't know much about him. From what I hear about Infinite Jest, though, there are like passages that really predicted the world we live in currently. Yeah. And that's a reason that I, it's it's one of the books I want to attack. Attack is not the right Attack's the right word, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the books I want Wrestle to with, yeah. But it's, um, yeah, maybe he was that much of a manipulator, but he probably was pretty tortured also. Yeah, no, I... I to, to to be fair, of course, I think there's definitely some. He, I don't know, but then I we we did a screening where we had a documentary of people. It was a university documentary where the class was trying to do we judge the art of an artist. It was kind of an argument because there was all these reports from his ex girlfriends and stuff saying that he was pretty terrifying, but people were saying also, but the work is so brilliant. So we screened that and then we had a one hour interview with him. This crazy one hour interview with like German TV, which was just a one-on-one, one hour conversation. So it was kind of a fair balance. You know, it's a really good book um, about what you just said is a book called Monsters written by Claire something. I'm forgetting her name. Um, And I really hope it's Claire, but it's Monsters, like uh, a fan's dilemma. Is the oh cool, and it's a book about what you just said, right? The um, how do you appreciate the art of a you know monster, quote unquote? Uh, Yeah, and I haven't yet dug. It's on my bedside table. It's one of my next reads, but I'm so excited for it. Yeah, that's very prescient. Yeah, I am. I love nuance. I mean, I'm all about nuance. It's you know, black and white is so. Uh, dangerous but um but i'm very excited to read that to to hear what the what the what the arguments are yeah that's so true okay we should wrap up yeah. i could ramble for yeah ages. me too what's next what's next for gummy is there anything there are a few things in the works um i think uh Rachel and Luca um, both have features that they're in the process of developing um, and kind of trying to continue to get some commercial work in the meantime. And then there are a few um, movies like this amazing uh, writer-director named Ben Hosey has a, a feature film that we're going I know Ben yeah I love I love PVT chat that yeah, was exactly. so good um and so we're we're producing developing and producing his next movie which I'm very very excited about um and there that's kind of I, I think our biggest project um yeah and what about that maniac Peter Vac when is his movie coming out oh that's right Rachel Ormont Funny you should ask because I recently said sent a message in the group chat and was like, "Where are we, Rachel Ormond? Right? When are we? When are we watching a cut of this?" So I think I think it's getting there though. That was what I was told. Finally, do you shop new or secondhand books? I'm 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 always getting trolled that I have to buy the certain edition of the book. Oh my god, I don't pay attention to editions. Um, okay, maybe that like totally annuls me as a avid read no because because as my girlfriend says the the words are the fucking same why are you spending 40 pound more on the yeah um i try to buy secondhand books as much as i can i i love the knowing that this book was somebody else's and sometimes you find like things annotated or you know sometimes you'll get old library books or books oh that's the best yeah i I love when it's like a letter or yeah i love for older books you know i'm always trying to get secondhand for newer books, I will go to the bookstore. Um, but, you know, I don't order online ever anything. Cool. So I, because I like making a trip out of the things that I need to get. And going to the bookstore is one of those special trips. Okay, that's a nice way to end on. I think yeah. I've, I think I've really got some tools from this pod. Less phone. Less Amazon yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Okay, this has been such fun to talk to you. Yeah, so much fun. I'm so like honored to be on your podcast. 
Oh wow, you you know the previous guests? You know yes. those? Oh my god, oh. yes. And, oh. and I'm not really a podcast person. Really? Yeah. Okay. That that's even better. This is all staying in. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's great. I'm very honored to be here. So this was very fun. Thanks. Keep up the amazing producing, acting, reading, watching <laughs> fun, and all that. Thank you. Cool. Have a good day. Bye. Boom. That was me and Pauline Chalamet. She is delightful. I urge you to go check out all the Gummy Films production stuff. They're doing great things. Okay, that's it from me. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Joshua Eustace, aka Telephone Tel Aviv, for my beautiful music. And a quick favor if you enjoy the pod, like and subscribe. I've been told this helps hugely with getting the pod out there and putting it higher up on searches and stuff. And the pod will always be free, but the bigger the pod gets, the bigger the guests get. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening and we'll speak soon. Mm-hmm.